3: Hey, hi, everybody. Hope you had a great week. Thanks so much for listening all week long, because I know you did. Uh, we have Jonathan Turley standing by to make sense of what's going on with the Supreme Court decision and the harassment that's taking place. Dan Hoffman will unwind some of the intelligence that's coming out of Russia, Vladimir Putin, May 9th. He was also a CIA station chief over in Moscow. Dan Hoffman at the bottom of the hour. And keep in mind, too, there's some reports about our role in the war in Ukraine that I love that we're doing it. I don't love that everyone knows about it. So let's get to the big three. Now
2: with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three.
5: Critical race theory has become one of those hot-button issues that uh, the Republicans and, and other, you know, disinformers have, have seized on. It's, you know, weaponizing people's emotion.
3: That is Nino Jankowitz. Disband the disinformation board and your bizarre czar. 20 states are demanding it. It's a partisan attack bureau and Republicans are the target.
4: Number two,
6: U.S. intelligence shared with Ukraine helped lead to Ukraine's sinking of the Russian cruiser Moskva, one of the most embarrassing setbacks Russia has faced since the start of the war. The news coming on the heels of a New York Times report that says the U.S. has given Ukraine real-time battlefield intelligence that American officials said led to the killings of Russian generals.
3: Unbelievable. What are you telling them? Why are you telling them? Looks like the U.S. provided intel to take out Russia's number one warship, played a role in killing at least 12 Russian generals. Personally, I love it. But why are we talking about it? This is Vladimir Putin is getting desperate to show some games for their gain for their May 9th victory day. We'll bring you the latest from the battlefield.
7: Number one. Do
8: you think the progressive activists that are now planning protests outside some of the justices' houses are extreme?
1: Peaceful protest? No. Peaceful protest is not extreme. Peaceful protest at people's
3: houses is the key outgoing press secretary. Supreme decision on on Roe. Might be a month away, but protests and some violence is starting already as they fence in the Supreme Court. No kidding. And the homes of the justices are now targeted. How do we know? Their homes were on a map that was circulated with a group that's going to be protesting outside their house. Targeting intimidation is no big deal to the White House. It is to me. Especially I look at I think that uh, Justice Kavanaugh's got a younger family. Can you imagine that you want to go to 12 you're in 12th grade, you're in seventh grade or third grade and you look outside and people are saying horrible things about your dad. They are screaming maybe at you as you get ready to get on the bus. Unbelievable. Jonathan Turley, how did it get to this?
9: I don't know. You know, what is shocking is that the White House could not muster the courage to even draw the line at harassing justices and their families in their homes. Justice Barrett also has younger children. And we've gotten to that point in politics where you can't even condemn what is really grossly inappropriate uh, types of tactics. And what's fascinating, obviously, is that this is entirely gratuitous. This is an addiction to rage. They're not going to change the position of these justices. They want to mete out punishment. And the White House has nothing to say about condemning that, discouraging it, uh, because they've yielded to the mob on on issues like this.
3: And listen, I feel the same way if some uh, pro-life group is rallying outside somebody who's pro-choice. I say, what are you doing? Not their house. Keep the home out of this. So Jen Psaki, I think most
9: Americans. I, I, I would think, think most
3: so. most Americans do. Yeah, okay, peaceful protest. You have a right to protest, but I don't know. Uh, do I, do I want to get up every day and protest at somebody's house and harass them in some suburb somewhere or some apartment building uh, in a metropolitan area? Jen Psaki was asked that question. Cut to.
8: Some of these have young kids, but their neighbors are not all public figures. So but would the president think about waving off activists that want to go into residential neighborhoods in Virginia and Maryland?
1: Uh, Peter, look, I think our view here is that peaceful protest. There's a long history in the United States and the country of that. And we certainly encourage people to uh, keep it peaceful and not resort to any level of violence.
3: So Senator John Cornyn put this out. He says, attempts to intimidate Supreme Court justice by the radical left are sadly nothing new, but dangerous nonetheless. We must must protect the justices and their families in their cases. So he's going to look to bolster up their private security because of a decision that hasn't even been yielded yet.
9: That's right. And the decision could ultimately change. But this is, of course, a continuation of— what has been going, becoming this rising level of rage in our society. And it's also part of the fact that our own leaders have been denigrating the institution of the Supreme Court for years. You had Majority Leader Chuck Schumer standing in front of the Supreme Court actually threatening justices by name. You have other senators demanding that the court be packed. Even when someone leaked an opinion of the Supreme Court, one of the most exceedingly unethical acts in my lifetime that I've seen, uh, the White House didn't even condemn that. You know, they were they were asked to condemn the leak and they really didn't have much to say about that they instead wanted to talk about right. how bad the opinion was.
3: And accuses people like Jonathan Turley for being uh, upset about the leak of distraction. So that's uh, unbelievable. I, I'm surprised it's been a week and we have not found out who it is. But there's, another, there's two other angles I want to bring up with you, one of which is they are now saying that during the confirmation process, Amy Coney Barrett and, and Justice Kavanaugh committed fraud. Listen to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, cut seven.
6: It's a lot, and we've never had fraudulent testimony well. in the Supreme Court before. <laughs> this is unprecedented to have justices commit fraud during hearings. So if you want to talk about process, I would focus on that process.
3: So did they commit fraud during the hearings?
9: No, I wrote a column on this. It's utterly nonsense. Uh, What they're referring to is when these justices were asked point blank about Roe v. Wade, they all responded in virtually identical ways. This rote response that, by the way, is also pretty much the same that Democratic nominees have responded Because of a thing called the Ginsburg rule, they insist that they will give no hints nor nor forecasts of how they would vote. So all of the justices simply say Roe is established precedent, and established precedent has a presumption of validity under a doctrine called stare decisive. They all have said that. That doesn't mean they're not going to reverse it. It doesn't mean that they're not going to change their mind even on things they've already decided. To to put this into perspective, Plessy v. Ferguson was established precedent for 58 years. So the same thing could have been said about Plessy. It was precedent. It was protected by stare decisis, but that didn't mean it couldn't be overturned.
3: Understood. The other thought is let's codify Roe v. Wade and let's put it on a vote. Next Wednesday, the Senate's going to vote on it. It's been clear. Collins and Murkowski both said, yeah, I'm not going to look to do that. For In layman's terms, what could they do? They could take a law that's about to be overturned and put – and excuse me. they Yeah, they take the Roe v. Wade and they would make it law, so therefore it would be impervious to the judge's rule.
9: Yeah, I have real questions about this. First of all, it doesn't look like they do have the votes. Uh, They certainly don't seem to have the votes to overcome a filibuster, but even if they were to codify Roe, it would be immediately challenged because the opinion basically says this is an issue that belongs to the state, and the challengers would likely say, look, you can't do this. You can't legislate something that doesn't naturally belong to you. Now, it would be a close question. I think that the Congress could argue that this is interstate commerce under existing uh, case law, but it would have a serious challenge as to whether a Congress is coercing states. It depends on how they want to carry this out. You know, there's a co- concern over a thing called commandeering. There's a lot of potential challenges here.
3: So Hillary Clinton says, look out. This is just the first step. Cut
4: three. This opinion is dark it is incredibly dangerous and it is not just about a woman's right to choose it is about much more than that and I hope people now are fully aware of what we're up against because the only answer is at the ballot box to elect people who will stand up for every American's rights and any American says look I'm not a woman this doesn't affect me I'm not black that doesn't affect me I'm not gay that doesn't affect me once you allow this kind of extreme power to take hold You have no idea who they will come for next. So what are your thoughts on that? This is dark? Well, well, first of all, as
9: someone from the free speech community, it's always wonderful to hear Hillary Clinton talk about how you can't yield on rights after she just spent the last week calling for censorship and calling for European countries to force Musk to censor on Twitter. So she's rather selective on what constitutional values uh, she wants to support. But the problem with the Democratic members is that they're playing out this parade of horribles. Uh, And I think it's undermining their argument. A good example of that is President Biden, who said that, you know, what's next could be that our children are segregated according to their presumed gender identity. And that's, of course, ridiculous. There's nothing in the opinion that would support that. Uh, Roe was not the case law that prevented that. Also, the opinion itself says that the the decision does not go any further than abortion. But by creating this parade of horribles, I think that they're undermining their argument. I think people will begin to tune it out. It's sort of like that warning at the end of uh, – I. Um, pharmaceutical commercials, when you have that voice that says may cause monsterism.
3: Nobody hears Ah. it anymore. I hear you, but you got to put it in there so you don't get sued by people like Jonathan Turley. Uh, (laughs) So Merrick Garland weighed in, too. He's outraged as uh, leading the Department of Justice. Cut for
10: the Justice Department has steadfastly been committed to defending the right to abortion. We are amicus in the Dobbs case. The Solicitor General herself argued on behalf of the United States in the Dobbs case. If the law changes, we will address appropriate next steps at that time. But what will not change is our commitment to defending the rights of women and all Americans.
3: So what's he going to do? Well,
9: you notice he didn't say what he was going to do because there's not a lot you can do Uh, If this is not a federal issue, Uh, you know, the fact is that the federal government can try to fund abortions in red states or at least travel to fund travel to states that allow for abortion. They can probably do that. But Congress, of course, can step in. There are some issues there as to whether you can use federal funds for those purposes. But otherwise, this fight is going to move to the states. And what's really interesting is have all of these Democrats say that this is an attack on democracy. Uh, A New York Times article said this is autocracy. Well, look, there's lots of people of good faith objections to this draft opinion. uh, But to say that it's an attack on democracy by returning the issue to democratic process is rather odd. I mean that that you know if the democrats are right and there's overwhelming support for abortion there will be little change because the states will simply protect this right. I think what they understand is that that's not the case that abortion still divides this country. The needle has not moved significantly particularly in terms of limits as opposed to an outright ban. Polls indicate that there's a very strong majority of Americans that agree with the Mississippi law, agree with drawing a line around the 15th week. uh, And I think that they anticipate that if this is left to the Democratic process, that may be the resting point for
3: some of these states. 20 Republican-led states are threatening legal action against the DHS and urge the disbanding of the Un-American Disinformation Board. Uh, which we just found out about clumsily last week, Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, uh, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia. They want to just say forget about it. And a lot has to do uh, with the person in charge. This is supposed to be a nonpartisan position. This woman sounds like Rachel Maddow, Nina Do What do you think about this uh, disinformation board?
9: Well, you know, the the fact is, we don't need a dis- disinformation governance board. Agencies already have offices that uh, put out corrective uh, releases when they see something that is that they deem to be false. What they have here is a board uh, that is headed by someone who is a major advocate for censorship. I mean, she has spent her life arguing for corporate and public censorship. And she is extremely partisan. She, you know, she uh, took the position that the Hunter Biden laptop was disinformation. She calls Republicans uh, as basically disinformers. What was really interesting, the <laughs> most recent clip, well, the most recent, what's really interesting about the most recent clip is she said, you know, if you read something and you find yourself getting really upset it's because you're being manipulated by disinformation. Ah. <laughs> and I was like, really? So basically anything that makes Nina Jankowitz upset right. is because someone's a disinformer?
3: Well, for example, I'll give you an example. She's 100% right, uh, Jonathan, because I know a lot of Philly fans that watch the Mets score seven runs in the ninth inning and they're reading the recap of the game right now because they went to bed thinking the Phillies were going to win. So that that clearly must be disinformation. I mean, this yes. is, a, this is yes, the least that qualified that's... person to be in charge.
9: Well, it, it, it's and the thing is, what's, what's real, if you really want to look at disinformation, you look at how Mayorkas has defended the disinformation board. I mean, I can't even keep track of the verbal gymnastics that I... he's employ, employed <laughs> here. He says, well, you know, she's really there to fight against disinformation by the cartels. What? Really? So, what? What is she going to do against the Medellin leave- cartel? Sing a Broadway tune? I mean, are they going to go? Oh my God! The disinformation board is saying that we're well, lying.
3: Jonathan, I have to leave it there. Thanks so much. Great outline. Way to put it in perspective. I'm so glad I retained you at the beginning of the year. Back in a moment. <laughs>
8: His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
2: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: In this day and age, in, in particular, Laura, it, there is never
3: a good, legitimate reason to go and protest at the home of a public official. This is a place where they sleep. This is a place where if they've got children in the home, where they're raising children. It's an implicit threat of physical violence. And that has no place in our system of government, certainly no place in our judicial
11: system. And yet that's what they're wanting to do.
3: And by the way, the Democrats are for that. They call for that. I'm going to play a montage of you uh, for you. When we come back, it's going to be Dan Hoffman. I'm going to talk about what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Some fascinating things are taking place. I need his perspective as a CIA guy. But, but but I'll play some cuts of Democrats really urging for their followers to do this. And they're they're organizing now to go through all the Supreme Court justices who they assume are going to vote to overturn Roe v. Wade and stand outside their houses. I, my hope is... The, so, you know, everyone's dug in on their sides, but the so-called moderates or undecided independents will be outraged by this because they see them doing their job, looking at it as a decision. You should not be giving up your privacy or exposing your family because of your job, because of your job. I mean, it, it's it's not criminal activity, but it's totally unsavory and, for me, unacceptable. What do you think? One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Remember, we're putting it together now. One Nation comes to you. Fox News Channel, 8 o'clock Saturday.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: We do not provide intelligence on the location of senior military leaders on the battlefield or participate in the targeting decisions of the Ukrainian military. Ukrainians have, quite frankly, a lot more information than we do. This is their country, their territory. uh, And they have capable intelligence collection abilities of their own.
3: Uh, That is Admiral Kirby on the report that we are providing intelligence that allowed... Ukrainians to take out at least 12 generals and that uh, lead warship. I love that we're doing it. I don't love that the world knows about it. Daniel Hoffman, former CIA station chief, served in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, South Asia. Only the hard stuff. Uh, Dan, welcome back. What is your take on this new intelligence that's come out on those two things?
0: Yeah, so I think uh, certainly it's not the United States policy to share intelligence that would result in a lethal attack on Russian generals but it's to Russia probably a distinction without a difference because what we're doing is we're giving the Ukrainians intelligence on where the Russian command posts are we're giving them intelligence on where uh Russian naval vessels are like the Moskva and Ukraine is going to marry that up with their own intelligence collection the Russians are speaking often openly uh without any encryption and so Ukraine is able to discern where the key people are and launch strikes accordingly The question that is worth asking is would they have been able to launch the strikes without our intelligence? And maybe the answer to that is a no, uh, in which case, you know, we played a key role. But, uh, you know, this administration has been very nervous about about not wanting to provoke Vladimir Putin. Uh, They're certainly running the risk of doing it, but I'm with you. Ukraine is is trying to defend themselves, and by international law, they have a right to do it, and we should be helping
3: them. Right. A couple of things, uh, Dan. We are becoming more and more aggressive. In the beginning, we we're so cautious, and we're becoming more and more bold. Why do you think that is? And do you agree with my assessment?
0: I agree with you 100%. Uh, this administration has lagged behind going back 13 months ago when Russia put uh, you know 70,000 troops on the border and they got a summit between Vladimir Putin and President Biden. That's when we should have been giving Ukraine javelins and stingers uh, and helicopters and howitzers and all sorts of drones and things to deter Russia, the concern from the administration is that we would provoke Russia. But I honestly believe that a couple of things have changed the calculus for this administration. One is just the devastation Russia has caused, Those, the civilian casualties bombing maternity wards, destroying cities. Uh, that has been covered by our intrepid journalists, including Benji Hall and and, and our Fox News colleagues who were killed uh, on the front lines, um, you know, and others as well from other networks. That's, I think, gone a long way to, to, uh, to influencing this administration in a positive way. There's a bipartisan consensus with Republicans and Democrats agreeing that, that we should do this. And then you've got President Zelensky, who's been so eloquent, and it's he, really, who has mobilized NATO members, especially the United States, to stand up right. for democracy, freedom, and liberty. What matters?
3: John Kirby went on to talk about what we're doing now. Tell me the significance of this. Cut 16.
7: Does DODSS... Ukraine will be ready to use all 90 of the M77 howitzers the U.S. has provided. In I think large. only the Ukrainians can answer that, Tony. I mean, it's it, the, these howitzers belong to them once they get inside the country. And uh, I can tell you, uh, as of uh, this morning, more than 80 of them are actually in Ukraine of the, uh, of the 90. Um, it's almost complete. And we do know that, and you heard Secretary Austin say this the other day in, in testimony, that... Uh, that we know some of them are being used in combat because they've told us.
3: So I, I, you know, in the past they've said, well, you know, we get them to Poland, and we get them there and it's up to them to pick them up and get them through. Somehow the intelligence is getting through. Is it your understanding that the stuff is getting through?
0: It is, but we're in a race, you know, right now to get what Ukraine needs to the front lines uh, before Russia overtakes Ukraine with, with superior uh, troop numbers. Uh, and Russia knows that that 's why they 've been bombing the rail hubs and trying to destroy ukraine 's infrastructure i don 't think you know russia didn 't do that in the initial stages of the war because I think Russia expected to topple the government in Kiev and wanted to retain the infrastructure rather than destroy it. but now they 're seeing that we 're able to get so much uh, equipment into Ukraine through those rail lines and that's that's influencing russia 's uh, military calculus as far as, you know, areas they want to target. Uh, but, you know, we're getting lots of material in uh, and we're not being uh, very open about, you know, how we're doing it and how much is making its way in any more than we have to. Uh, but again, I think we're we're in a race right now against time and those, you know, the where the fighting is going to take place. Now, I mean, it looks a lot like Kansas. It is flat, open terrain and it's going to be Vicious, atta- uh, vicious warfare along the lines that we saw in the Second World War.
3: So very interesting because I was reading Pentagon officials, unnamed, said that they're little they're, they're baffled that the Russians are moving in such a tepid way, a slow way. They thought the invasion would be quicker, more deliberate in the in the east, and then work their way to the south. Why would they be moving so slow? Is it out of necessity because their armaments, because their their conscripts are just unexperienced? What do you think that is?
0: Well, they're depleted. The forces are significantly depleted. It's a debate about how much of Russia's military is now just inoperable. Ukraine inflicted massive casualties on Russia uh, and destroyed significant amounts of their military equipment. And yes, they've lost a dozen generals, which hurts their command and control. The failure, Russia's failure in the first phase of the war to induce Zelensky to leave. Remember, we offered him an aircraft. We said, here's your aircraft to leave your country. And Zelensky said, no, thanks. I need ammunition. The fight's here. Forget the ride. That was incredible, you know, uh, turning point for Ukraine. And we actually weren't helping him out at that time like we should have been, um, encouraging him to do the wrong thing. But, you know, then... Ukraine fought back and prevented Russia from taking Kiev. Uh, Ukraine is fighting back in in the area around Kharkiv, uh, and 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 has caused so much damage and so many casualties to Russia that Russia doesn't have the forces they would have had uh, previously to target to to, to uh, launch their attacks in in the east and in the south. And so, you know, you're looking at at a, a protracted stalemate uh, war of attrition there. Right where ukraine because of the military assistance we're providing it and their bravery they'll be able to stand up to fight but make no mistake the ukraine the ukrainians are under siege um and you know this is this is going to be a tough fight for them the russians still have troops they can throw at this fight but i still wonder brian like at what point does the russian military say you know what the KGB guy in the kremlin just isn't serving our nation very well here our economy is cratering we've got no relationship with the west whatsoever russia has one one uh you know one um pipeline to China they don't have the capacity to export their hydrocarbons to China to the extent that they did to europe they're going to lose eventually on that and uh, this is a bad war for Russia. It might be a war of necessity for Putin himself. It's a bad war for russia, and every day that goes by uh, is demonstrating that
3: so there's two there's two cities that they want to claim, Mariupol. And kirsan yep. and they're already saying, we're oh, only accepting rubles, I'm the new mayor, uh, that's it, you know, we're Russia, we're setting up supermarkets and get used to it. Are they going to say we took these two cities, who have expanded and secured uh, the Donbass region, is that what they're going to say May 9th at Victory Day? Am I overstating what Victory Day is to Russia?
0: Well, you could be sure Vladimir Putin will overstate it. You know, I think he was hoping to celebrate Victory Day in Kiev, but that's not going to happen, uh, or to have his... Puppet regime in Kiev celebrate Victory Day. Uh, you know that the, 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 the most that what you just said is about the most that the Russians, that Vladimir Putin can claim. But I think that their longer term aim is certainly to to hit Odessa and and link up all the way to the Transnistria and deny Ukraine uh, any access whatsoever to the Black Sea, which means you cut Ukraine off from their economic lifeline and questionable viability economically going forward. That's what Vladimir Putin wants to do. And Ukraine will fight back to ensure that that doesn't happen. And that's really what the fight is for, is for Odessa. It's for the what's left of Mariupol, uh, and it's for Odessa going forward.
3: But well, right now, uh, Odessa gets hit, goes rocketed, but it's not being invaded. So do you right. think that that is a uh, that is a hope but not a likelihood, that they take Odessa and make them landlocked?
0: I think that's the Russian strategy, whether they succeed or not, will depend in part on the additional military assistance we're able to provide Ukraine and whether Ukraine can stay in the fight. You know, this is, um, taxing their, uh, their, their own, you know, resources, military, uh, and the question is, how long can they stay in the fight? But, you know, this is their home territory and they got the home home field advantage on this one. And they are, in the moral and ethical right place to defend their nation. But that's where this fight, this is headed for that. And I think Russia is hoping, for, what they're hoping for, is that we just lose interest and we just stop talking about it. And that's, that's the last thing we yeah. should be doing.
3: Or not. And it looks like Sweden and Finland are joining their biggest nightmare. And as General Keene told me this morning, there's about 40,000 more troops right on the border of Russia. So that's exactly what they didn't want, what they were complaining about. And get this. Germany will send 7 self-propelled howitzers to Ukraine and provide training on using them. They also have committed to spending 105 billion dollars to modernize what is a antiquated what they have of a fighting force and get over 2%. So this is can you believe that Germany is prepared to defend itself?
0: Well, this is the concern that that the West has. Look, I've, I've said this, and I really believe it, that President Zelensky awakened the West out of their post-Cold War slumber. You might argue the Cold War really never ended, uh, or maybe we got a, a quick break there when Boris Yeltsin was 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 president of Russia. But certainly, once Putin took over, that was you know he was going to be. Um, he was going to be uh, seeking, you know, to, to do things that were certainly not in the West's interest. And we saw that with his uh, cyber attack on Estonia, invasion of Georgia, invasion of Ukraine, all the other things he's done. Uh, but, yes, you know, Germany is now stepped up. They know that this is Vladimir Putin is an existential threat to Europe. They all recognize that. And from Putin's standpoint, he knows that it's bad for Russia not to be aligned with Europe, bad for them economically. But it's good for him and his regime to be aligned with China, which is the only place for them to go now, because he knows that if liberty and freedom and democracy make their way to Russia, which are those are our ideals, those are European principles and values, then his regime is going to end. And that's going to be the tension in Russia, whether they sign up for Vladimir, what's right for Vladimir Putin or what's right for Russia. There's always been this dichotomy in Russia. Are they an Asian nation, a European nation? Vladimir Putin is tilting, obviously, towards China. He wants the China model uh, because that totalitarian regime yeah. suits his own personal needs. But it's not good for Russia.
3: Uh, right. And now we know uh, the EU is saying within six months, I want everybody off oil and gas bought yep. from Russia. That is their war machine, how it's funded. Just to show you, not all Americans are on the same page. This guy, Joe Ken, Republic- he's a Republican, wants to be a congressman, aspiring congressman uh, from Washington. Cut 21.
7: I don't think any American knows that we're at war right now because Congress has not done their job. They've blindly
3: authorized billions of dollars to go to Ukraine to exacerbate this conflict. We're allowing our intelligence community without any kind of oversight to brag now out loud
7: that we're killing Russian generals, sinking Russian ships. We're taking every single action to provoke the Russians, to give them no other option but to view us that we we are at war. Do you
3: agree with that?
0: No, I know, Joe. yeah, I used to work at uh, – we used to kind of work together in the old days. Uh, but, you know, respectfully, I would say I, I don't agree with them. Um, we, Russia's at war with Ukraine, and we are assisting Ukraine in their efforts to repel an aggressor who is targeting uh, with impunity Ukrainian civilians. Uh, and so we are 100 percent righteous in doing that. And I can tell you that uh, there's plenty of intelligence oversight. The House and Senate Intelligence Committees have plenty of the oversight – over the intelligence community, including the CIA. And Joe is, is uh, rehashing something that the New York Times has, has reported on about Russian generals, but the administration has explained that. Uh, you know, uh, Admiral Kirby uh, explained it yesterday, and, and I tried to as well just a few moments ago. So, you know, respectfully, I wouldn't agree with Joe. I think the bottom line with this is that, you know, if, if Russia were, were to take Ukraine, uh, that would present massive economic uh an economic cost for Europe, as well as a strategic cost, not in our interest to allow that to happen, aside from the moral and ethical reasons to stand up for democracy. And, you know, Ukrainians, NATO, we've said we defend every inch of NATO. Ukrainians are fighting for what NATO stands for right now against Russia. They've done more to defend, counter, and deter Russia uh, than any NATO member, including the United States, has done. They're, they're fighting and dying for it. And uh, I can tell you from having lived in Russia for many years, you know, Vladimir Putin is the, you know, reincarnation of the evil empire. And uh, we got to stand up to him.
3: Absolutely. He's worse than, uh, than I thought. Maybe not you thought, but he's worse than I could have imagined. There is no civility to him. There's only and he's so barbaric in the way he fights and he's so corrupt. He put together a shell of an army. I mean, I'm not sure if he even knew somebody was grifting off the top. Uh, of the money. He's put together tanks that don't work, armaments that don't report, and a, and and uh, a fighting force that doesn't want to fight. And lastly, real quick, I did not know that Russian separatists were really Russian separatists. Evidently, they are complaining about the Russian army, that they've done nothing they said they would to support them against the Ukrainians, and they're getting their butt kicked. Can you disseminate yeah. that for me? So what I could tell
0: you is that the Russian army, I mean, it's a bit of a Potemkin village here. And, uh, you know, the Russian so-called separatists are fighting, and, and they're upset that they're not getting the support that they feel like they deserve. Uh, but, you know, the, the, look, culture matters in the military. And the biggest sea change we saw in Ukraine was after Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014 and annexed Crimea illegally. Ukrainian military swiveled and and we really worked very closely with them and developed their military culture and that's one reason why they've been so effective against Russia. The Russian military culture just has a lot of problems. And yes, their their own they're so corrupt. They siphon off the money that's meant for training and and equipment and they buy palatial estates on the Black Sea. You know, talk about oversight, you know, Joe Kent can can think about oversight. There isn't any of that in Russia, I can tell you. Uh, absolutely.
3: I would say so and there's no hell to pay. You, know? you speak up, you go to jail. Daniel Hoffman, yeah. thanks so much. Always educational. Appreciate it. All right, thanks. You got it. Uh, Inside Russia, one 408 And the good news is, the polls show, you are interested in what's going on over there, and you do realize it affects us here. Back in a moment.
2: Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Go ahead.
8: Thank you, Jen. Sorry to see you go. Are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And you've always been a good sport. Thank you. So, on behalf of everybody, thank you.
3: Okay. So, uh, that's it. Uh, Jen Psaki goes to MSNBC. And the new woman is the first uh, LGBTQ person to take this job. But she's actually has a partner who works at CNN, Suzanne Malvell, a very well known reporter there. Yes, like, is so, that is that happen a lot? I mean, for me, I didn't even know that. Isn't that? Well, I didn't know that I either. Thought that might be a disqualifier.
5: Well, I don't. I mean, who else? Right? But um, Alan Greenspan, right? And Andrew um, Mitchell. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, but she doesn't really do stories on the Fed every day. She's going to be dealing with fair. the press. I know. So, but it, I know. I agree. It definitely seems uh, like a conflict, but I guess technically not. It's not until it is, right? I guess everyone's going to be scrutinizing it with intense detail. So. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean,
3: he probably – she probably has been President Biden's most effective cabinet member, right? Saki? I mean, no question.
5: No, she's been – she's good. She's – I mean, annoying to a lot of our listeners, but she does a good job for him.
3: But she's a – but she came off like a pro. Yes. I, I see a lot of amateurs around him or people with just terrible views of – from the Secretary of State who seems ambivalent about his job. I know he's a diplomat. Uh, to Jake Sullivan getting embarrassed in Saudi Arabia – to uh, Ron Klein handling the left wing of this party terribly, giving them way too much sway within the administration. Where's the A-team? She was, to me, A-team level. And I think that he is really going uh, to feel the impact of no longer having an, a, an A-plus person in communication. I don't care what you think or what their policies are. How do they handle being a spokesperson for those policies, handling things in real time? And not making more news than you need to uh, at the end. That's the case. And I think for that way, I think she was very effective. So, Brian Kilmeade show. I'll have to just circle back with you.
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard it around the country, heard it around the world, especially uh, in the Ukraine. I'm so glad you're here. So glad you've been with us all week long. It's been one of those weeks that we're not going to forget between the historic would-be leak, uh, leak, I hope it's historic rare and never happens again, out of the Supreme Court. We were probably going to have this type of hysteria in late June when this when this decision was handed down. But the I'm talking about Roe v. Wade. Of course, the argument happened in December this Uh, Brief was written in February, and it was leaked out in May. So uh, we'll go into that, the ramifications and the protests that exist. Senator Rick Scott at the bottom of the hour, he came up this week because of a plan that he released uh, that he would do, that he would like to implement if the Republicans get the Senate. It's causing a lot of headaches. And Geraldo's standing by, so let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
5: Critical race theory has become one of those hot-button issues that uh, the Republicans and and other, you know, disinformers have have seized on. It's, you know, weaponizing people's emotion.
3: (laughs) It's unbelievable. Nina Jankowicz, disband the disinformation board and your bizarre czar. 20 states are demanding it. It's a partisan attack bureau and Republicans are the target. Number two.
6: U.S. intelligence shared with Ukraine helped lead to Ukraine's sinking of the Russian cruiser Moskva, one of the most embarrassing setbacks Russia has faced since the start of the war. The news coming on the heels of a New York Times report that says the U.S. has given Ukraine real-time battlefield intelligence that American officials said led to the killings of Russian generals.
3: What are you you telling them? It looks like the U.S. is providing intel to take out Russian generals as well as take out battleships. I love it personally, but why are we talking about it? This is Vladimir Putin getting desperate to show some gains for his May 9th victory day.
7: Number one.
8: Do you think the progressive activists that are now planning protests outside some of the justices' houses are extreme?
1: Peaceful protest? No, peaceful
3: protest is not extreme.
1: Right, because they're not
3: in front of your house. Supreme decision on Roe might be a month away, but protest and some violence is starting already as they fence in the Supreme Court and the homes of justices are published and targeted to, I assume, intimidate and make their lives miserable. With me right now is Geraldo Rivera, whose life is anything but miserable. He's in Ohio, comes to New York. I mean, you could say that you're at your zenith, I could say. Um, you get to hang out with people like um, uh, like J- Judge Janine. I do uh, Jesse when he's healthy.
10: When um, he's when he's vertical, right?
3: Greg Gutfeld. Yeah, uh, him too. <laughs> That's good, and me. But <laughs> I, I mean, do. it's not John Lennon. I mean, but
10: Brian, you are you are delightful, and you are one of the hardest working people since James Brown. Uh, you, uh, your energy is uh, indefatigable. And it's not only that, it's how crisp and, and uh, on target you are constantly, whether it's early morning or prime time. Uh, you wow, so Thanks, Maria. Reliable Roger. and relatable. No, I I mean it. I'm a big fan of yours.
3: Well, room. thank you very much. I hope you're going to be watching Saturday at eight. Or is that date night for you? Or is or both nights date night? It for is you.
10: Mother's Day Eve, so I, I I don't know whether or not uh, we'll be engaged. We have a big uh, Mother's Day brunch planned at the uh, at Shoreby, the uh, the local club in an old mansion on Lake Erie. It's gorgeous. Uh, we we'll, so we'll go there with uh, erica's mom and, and and Jerry, her man and uh, and Soul, of course, our daughter, and we'll celebrate uh Erica, a wonderful wonderful mom who's now nursing or not nursing what, <laughs> She's now uh you know uh, shepherding uh, our new uh Labrador retriever uh, f- f- uh, fifteen weeks old, destroying the house. Wow every every couch has been chewed. Uh, the screen door has been shredded. <laughs> but I mean, so far, so. Are too. you
3: even trying to train it?
10: Uh, well, yeah, but you know it's a it's a handful, and and particularly with my I'm I'm bicoastal. You know, I go from the right. shore of Lake Erie to uh, Le- the Hudson River, and with my travel, uh, I, I'm doing my, the best I can. Walking him last night in the rain in Ohio was not fun, but uh, we did it.
3: So, what is your take on this, Nina Jankowitz? who they say holds a nonpartisan role in the Homeland Security in terms of this new disinformation bureau that's been, I didn't know, up and running for the last two months. Uh, Haralu, she's on the record calling Hunter Biden's laptop Russian disinformation, uh, praising Christopher Steele. Uh, And, I mean, it's, it's it's like a Rachel Maddow monologue. I mean, what is, what
10: is he? What are they thinking? That's I, I hadn't heard it described quite so vividly, Brian. But I, I think it's it's kind of preposterous. It's comical. I, I don't think it means anything in substantive terms. But what it does indicate is how absolutely tone deaf the Biden administration is about how people respond to some of these lurching, uh, you know, ill-considered actions that they take, as as they you know sputter and stumble and you know, try to clean up the president's uh, malaprops. Uh, it, it They overlook, like, today's jobs report was fabulous. Uh, the unemployment report, fabulous. But people aren't going to be talking about the good news. They're going to be talking about inflation, and uh, Biden is off message on that. He can't seem to come to grips with the fact that uh, ordinary folks that, that, that I know and that you know, Brian, uh, are, that are in our families are struggling to make Absolutely. ends meet. Uh, it's just... It's ridiculous how high the prices are. You can't, you can't pay $5 a gallon for gas uh, and have much left over if you're an, an average, hardworking, middle-class American. So I think that unless he can get that under control and show that he is in control, uh, you know, these stories of uh, the Nina Jenkiewicz's and the other, you know, uh, fringy aspects of the Biden presidency really are irrelevant and kind of annoying Ron.
3: 428,000 jobs added, uh, unemployment at 3.6. They've added something like 5 to six mil, 6.8 million jobs, and we're almost at uh, pre-pandemic levels. But here's what the administration chose to do. I couldn't believe—I I don't think I've seen you comment on this, but here's what the administration chose to do, and this was not a mistake because it was not walk back, and it looked very intentional. Listen to what Joe Biden called MAGA.
11: What happens if you have a state ch- change the law saying that 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 children who are LGBTQ can't be in classrooms with other children? Is that, is that legit under the way the de- decision is written? What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political ex- organization that's existed in American history.
3: More than the Ku Klux Klan, the skinheads that broke your nose. I mean, (laughs) I could not believe he said that.
10: That that was a classic Joe Biden misdirection. Uh, Instead of dealing with the fact that the high court, uh, particularly with the efforts of uh, Donald Trump to have the three new conservative members, has a conservative supermajority, it appears likely – very likely that Roe v. Wade will be overturned within the month. Right. Uh, You know, the draft uh, decision certainly indicates that. Uh, Rather, I think, than... than pointing out the real impact and the implications, some of which what he said is true. Uh, you know, it, it could have uh, an impact on gay marriage if a state suddenly decides, under the 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 new precedent, uh, that the state has the ability, to, under its police powers, to uh, to abolish same-sex marriage, say, or you know, or gay marriage. It's a uh, uh, it's it is it is remotely possible, uh, but. The court certainly seems, and the court, remember, determines what is constitutional. You can't appeal from the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court says Roe v. Wade is overturned and uh, where the Mississippi Mississippi statute 15 weeks is is the law, then that's going to be the law, and you can't appeal that. There's no where. Uh, you know, in the judicial system or in the American political system uh, where you can change what the Supreme Court says. I mean, you could hope that the next president, whoever it is, or this president, Biden, if there's another opening or But, two, but Geraldo,
3: I know you've got the legal background, but do you, you agree that since this law passed, almost my entire life, it's been debated and no one 's even talking about uh, segregating classrooms between gay kids and straight kids. No one's talking about reversing same-sex marriage. Republicans don't even bring it up where they this the pro-life movement's as big as any, and pro-choice movements respectively are as big as any in the country.: So I live
10: in my country. I live in Ohio a red are state- they
3: extremists?
10: Uh, they are not extremists. I love them. Uh, we get along great. With I get along great with all Ohioans.
3: Do you blame them uh, if they're it, insulted? Do you blame I, them if they're insulted I, by the I president's absolutely comments?
10: I totally understand the fact that they are uh, – uh, that the one side is alarmed, that the law – that the, the – uh, the the, pre, the suppositions that they had that the you know that abortion would be legal and and hopefully rare and uh, and safe and so forth uh, they're worried that uh, you know you're going to go back to the old days i mean there's a real real worry among uh, certainly the the liberal the pro choice crowd that the world that they knew is ending you you say that it's been your whole life it has been your whole life the debate yeah. The, the, the debate. That's why these, to bring up those
3: extraneous other things and say that you're Republican, this extreme organization well, called they MAGA. That's a they're Republicans.
10: They're trying to get political hay uh, uh, by saying scary things that you're right, that probably will not happen. Uh, but But you can't minimize the fact that this is an earthquake, that this is a, a gigantic. Well, Change in American society. So, so I would say people have to come to grips.
3: With. I'm just saying, like I always look at people messaging, you know. I, so if you if Coca Cola is rolling out a marketing uh, a marketing plan, they're the best in the business. Get higher, you know. The best advertising agency roll out for the biggest companies, McDonald's. Okay, what do you have? How are you going to sell it to me? And then I look at this administration, and this is where the best Democrats go, you would think. And their messaging on this day is to vilify the the MAGA group and call them the most extreme organizations in modern american history. So what you did is go, what? What what are you talking about? So Mr. and Mrs. Johnson in Ohio to uh, to uh, to the uh, to uh, to the uh, Andersons in Texas who vote for Trump who vote for Trump or believe Amer- you know, believe in strong borders and believe in not getting involved in foreign wars and everything. Now they're extremists. So you just did your own deplorable statement, but this one was intentional. Why would you go, why would you go down the deplorable road?
10: In the basket of deplorables that, that doomed Hillary Clinton's candidacy. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're right, except for this, Brian. The fact of the matter is that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned within the next month. The, the women in my state, in Ohio, which has a fetal heartbeat state, including my daughter, if God forbid uh, she had a, a, an un, a unintended unwanted pregnancy, she'd have to drive to New York. And then if they pass a Texas-type law that says it's a crime to to aid and abet an abortion, the the driver— Presumably, me, or a, a bus driver, or a, a limo driver, or her mother, would also could be criminally charged. These are real, real changes in American society. That yes, the language is extreme. Yes, uh, there is bungling and 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 stumbling among Democrats. But, but the fact of the matter is that the law is changing. But Geraldo, tell me if I'm
3: tell me if I'm understating this. Uh, you uh, so I'm in California. I'm tired of paying taxes. I'm tired of the traffic. I'm going to be Elon Musk, and I'm going to move over to Texas. I am in New York. I have to wear – my toddler has to wear a mask. I'm going to Florida. Um, so I have all these moves that I'm making inside America. I, I need to be part of New York City. My dream is to live in New York. I'm moving to the best city in the world, New York City, crime or not. So people are making decisions every day. So if you say to yourself, you know, I'm in my 20s, I want to have freedom to be able to have an abortion if I want to, I will pick a state that has that. I will go to a state that does that. We make that decision every day by minor and major things in our lives. What would be the difference?
10: Well, as I said, what happens if they pass a Texas-type law that criminalizes that, that conduct? that says, okay, if you're gonna drive yourself to New York if you want an abortion from Ohio, uh, then I'm gonna criminally charge you. It is possible. Brian, we are approaching a a brave new world where women particularly, but uh, you you saw the emotion from the so-called pussy hat demonstrations following the inauguration of of, uh, President Trump. It's going to be very volatile. Uh, It's going to be very disruptive. Uh, the fact that these people are going to the homes of Supreme Court justice so wrong, I think that it is so wrong. I hate it. And if someone came up to me in a restaurant, and started yelling, oh, you're a Fox correspondent, you're you're then they might uh, whatever. Yeah, but but the, w- in my case, it would be more like the response to the person in the Dave Chappelle uh, uh, concert. Uh, right. But they were talking about this uh, in the. Uh, Uh, The 23 year old, I forget his name, Uh, you know, Isaiah
4: something, uh,
10: you know, I, I will not allow my personal space to be violated. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same as I do. And, but this is going to be very, very distasteful. It's going to be very tumultuous. Uh, It's uh, it's not going to be easy in the fact that they're raising the specter of all these horrible, uh, uh, you know, sidebars. I don't I don't know how many of them are realistic, uh, but I do think that American society, certainly between now and November, the midterm elections is going to be, you know, one big bumpy ride, Brian.
3: I hear you. Uh, Thanks for sitting the table for me, Gerardo. Have a great Mother's Day weekend.
10: Okay, you too, Brian.
3: All right, go get them. 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to come back and take your calls. Bottom of the hour, Rick Scott, Brian Kilmeade Joe, So glad you're here.
2: Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmead.
5: That's false or misleading information um, that uses gendered tropes. So it might be, for instance, this is a big one that we track in the report, Kamala Harris slept her way to the top. Ilhan Omar is a is a favorite for this sort of racist sexual rhetoric that's compounded the idea that she married her brother to immigrate to the United States, for instance. But then we see racialized narratives, things like Kamala ain't black, hashtag Kamala ain't black is is one that we tracked. Um, Things that are saying that she's not black enough, she's not South Asian enough to claim that heritage. Rather than write the word bitch, they will use an exclamation point instead of an I.
3: So uh, you might not like any of the things she said or everything she said. The new disinformation czar will probably negate it. I don't even know if it's been investigated whether Elon Amar married her brother in order to get uh, permission to come to this country. I don't even know. Has anyone made the time to find out? And if someone has an opinion in the black community that she's not black enough and they want to make that statement, whatever. Not up to me. And I didn't think up to anybody to decide. But the new disinformations are Nina Jankowitz, you just heard her raving and ranting about that, will now decide. Really? Okay. So you hunt it down uh, before, you, before you go. Go ahead. Find out if uh, if she is South Asian uh, enough for uh, or the vice president. You might not like a description, but people don't like her job, what she's doing. Maybe they met her personally and think she is all those negative things that they just brought up and they want to tweet about that. You're not allowed to have an opinion on social media now that might be contradictory to what the Democratic Party. Anyone defending Mike Pence because maybe he's too cookie cutter. They anyone mock Mike Pence because he will not have lunch with a woman without his wife around? That's, disin- that's not nice. Let's get rid of that. That's what these people have set up with Homeland Security. Nina Jankowicz, the worst person outside a MSNBC pundit to be in charge of disinformation. Senator Rick Scott next. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: that makes you think this is the Brian Kilmeade show.
11: What happens if you have a state changes the law saying that, that, that children who are LGBTQ can't be in classrooms with other children. Is that, is that legit under the way that the decision is written? What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history.
3: So that was nuts as far as I was concerned and was one of the statements that was not stumbled upon by Joe Biden. It wasn't off a question that had to be walked back because he said it a couple of days ago and hasn't been walked back yet. The MAGA crowd, Make America Great Again crowd, the most extreme in modern U.S. history. Senator Rick Scott, Senator Homeland Security, he's on Senate Homeland Security and Armed Services Committees, Chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, joins us now. Senator, what's your thought about the president labeling the MAGA crowd extreme? Look, he's confused. I mean, he, you know, he he doesn't,
12: you know, if you look at it, he, <clears throat> he, you know, he attacked me the other day. And he, you know, he says, I want to raise taxes. When here's a guy that when he got elected to the Senate, since when he got elected to the Senate, think of what's happened. Taxes have skyrocketed in this country. I don't think there's a tax he hasn't increased. Uh, number two is the debt's gone from less than a trillion to 30 trillion. He's taken to 45. And he wants that. he's confused. and says, I'm reducing the deficit. No, no, he said, Joe Biden is reducing the deficit. No, 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 he's not. He's raising taxes. He's increasing the deficit. He's confused about everything. <laughs> the Supreme Court the decision, which has not come out, has nothing to do with, with anything other than you know, abortion. I mean,
3: he's just complete, He's completely confused. He, his his press conferences he's, are incoherent. But you know, I'll tell you what, Rick. That wasn't uh, Senator. That was intentional, no doubt about it. It's almost as if it was poll tested. It's. I almost thought it was so. It was so off the charts inappropriate. But it was. He, I know when he stumbles, that was intentional. He wants to marginalize people that voted for Trump. I guess, and you're talking about seventy million more people voted for President Trump in losing than any other Republican in history. In yeah. fact, yeah, so just, just I just want you to comment on that. If, having said that, he didn't make a mistake in that. What do you think about the fact that he's, he has no problem labeling you like that? Well, I mean, I, look, I
12: think he's struggling, right? I mean, the, the economy's, you know, not doing well. The border's completely open. Uh, the Ukraine, he's not been on, in the lead on what the Ukraine is. Gas prices are up. He's struggling. He's trying to. He's trying to get a create a fight here over something, and you know, remember when Clinton, you know, said all the bad things about the people that were voting for, uh, for Trump. I mean, I mean, the people who vote for Trump, the people who vote for Republicans, what do they want? Well, they want a good economy. They want uh, their kids to learn something like math in in school, not some gender identity stuff. They want to live in safe communities. I mean, the Democrats have just gone off a deep end. And I don't I don't know why they're like this, and it's not going to be good for them in November. Hopefully, when we win in November, we get back to work and try to move this country in the right direction.
3: So I want to hear I want everybody to hear what uh, President Biden said about you and your proposal. You you want everyone to pay into our country. I don't care if it's three dollars, but 50 percent of the country should not be paying zero taxes. So listen to this.
11: Senator Rick Scott of Florida, United States senator who's leading the Republican National Senatorial Campaign Committee, released what he calls the ultra-MAGA agenda. It's a MAGA agenda, all right. Let me tell you about this ultra-MAGA agenda. It's extreme, as most MAGA things are. It will actually raise taxes on 75 million American families, over 95% of whom make less than $100,000 a year. Among the hardest hit, working families. What's your reaction to that? Well, he's
12: confused. Okay, my plan is called, you know, Rescue America. You go to rescueamerica.com. That's what it's called. But here's my point. All right, we have the lowest labor participation rate I think since I've been alive. We've got to get people back to work. When I when I ran for governor in 10 in 2010, I had a plan to get people back to work. We had 1.7 million jobs we got to get people back to work. What the Democrats are doing is with all these massive government programs, they're saying, oh, yeah, you don't have to work. You don't have to participate in our economy. That's not right. We've got to get people back to work. I grew up in a poor family. My mom didn't want to go on welfare. We lived in public housing. But she says, Rick, you you got to get to work. She, my mom sometimes had three jobs. She wanted to be part of this country, building this economy. She did not want to be in, on food stamps or, or a health care program or anything. Not that there's, so, safety nets are bad, but they're not safety nets to be on the rest of your life. They're safety nets when you need them. Able-bodied Americans should be working, and they should be participate in our economy. That's my point, and that's what we, ought, we have to be doing. We've got to get people back to work. Look, at we're running unbelievable deficits. I mean, this president is causing— He's cutting the deficit. He has
3: cut the deficit from the pandemic spending, right?
12: Well, yeah. I mean, when we had when we had the pandemic spending, yeah, sure, it's down. But look at what he's taken. He's taken the debt from 30 trillion to 45 trillion in 10 years. You know, you know, they always these presidents put out these ten-year plans. He never even tries to say he's going to balance the budget. We're going to be a billion to a a trillion to a two trillion dollar deficit this year. I mean, this is this unbelievable spending. And by the way, you know, all these uh, Democrat senators, they they start complaining about inflation. Then they go push more and more spending. I mean, there's, an, there's a new bill, a China bill, that we're just going to give $52 billion to a semiconductor industry, and they don't have to do anything. I'm for more semiconductors made in America. But tell me you're going to build a plant or something. I mean, they just want to spend the money and with no accountability, like, it, like there's no – there's, no, there's nothing out of it that happens when we waste all this money. It's causing inflation. It's causing shortages. Poor families can't afford to live here. You can't – if you're a young family, you can't buy a house in the yeah,
3: country. Yeah, evidently we're running out of well. baby formula as a, as a nation. Oh, it's, gosh. Right. So the other I'm thing is you are all over the country. A couple of things. So um, when you look at right now, I know Mitch McConnell did not want you to release that plan. And even if I agree 100 percent with it, have you become a target rich environment now for Democrats who are desperately trying not to talk about their own track record?
12: Well, I think, I think what every candidate has to do is come up with what they're, what they're running on. And I think when you, when you run, you can't just say the Democrats are all bad, you know, which what they're doing is really bad for us. you got to say, what, am, what are you going to do to fix it? That's what people expect. I'm a business guy. I believe in working off a of plan, and that's what our voters want. They, they say, that's great. We know the Democrats are doing the wrong thing, but how are you going to make it better? So what I did, I put out my Rescue America plan. You can go to rescueamerica.com, and I tell people, here's my ideas. What are yours? And let's come up with something so when we win, which I believe we will, we're actually going to do something to govern and change the direction of this country. And I think that's exactly what our voters want.
3: So I don't know where you stand right now. A couple of things are happening. You saw that J.D. Vance won in Ohio, got the nomination, so he'll be taking on Tim Ryan. I know you wanted to stay out of the primaries. The president didn't. Do you feel as though the best candidate won there?
12: Oh, J.D. is going to do a great job. He'll be the next Republican senator from Ohio. I mean, he ran a great campaign. Uh, as you know, Trump endorsing, uh, but we've you know look, we've got great races and uh, we've got primaries in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Alabama, uh, Missouri, uh, Arizona. We're we've got great candidates running. We're racing our money. We're on the right side of the issues. The Biden agenda is is uh, is devastating. His approval ratings are horrible. Nobody wants to campaign with him. They don't want to be seen with him. Uh, so you know we're gonna have we're gonna have primaries. We're gonna have great people come out of the primaries. It's gonna be people that that state believe in. So J.D. Vance, he ran the best race in Ohio and he won. And that's who who Ohio wants to represent them in the US Senate and he will.
3: So I just see seeing this breaking news, Mike Pompeo is going to hold a press conference on the national security concerns he has around Doctor Oz because Doctor Oz has obviously he was born in Turkey and he voted in Turkey, he might have voted in Turkey a few years ago what can you? What do you know about that? Do you share those concerns as Dr. Oz tries to be the next senator from Pennsylvania, and he's being uh, very in a very tight race with Dave McCormick?
12: Well, it's a tight race. I have not talked to Mike Pompeo about what he's uh, what his concerns are. Um, so, look, I think we've got five you know five great people in that race, um, and you know one of them is going to come out and be the next Republican senator from Pennsylvania to replace Pat Toomey, who's not running for reelection. But I've not seen what uh, Mike Pompeo is saying.
3: How do you feel about Governor DeSantis taking away the autonomy status from Disney in this battle for uh, for the parental right law that he passed?
12: Well, you know, the law makes sense. Uh, we shouldn't be teaching kindergartners about sex. And if you know, it's a parent's choice to talk about their children about sex at that age um, and. So I don't understand why Disney wanted to participate in in the conversation and attack the bill. And, you know, we have – you know, Disney had a special tax status. I think we always have to look at those uh, special tax status uh, and see see why they have them. Uh, So – but I don't – you know, I just don't get why Disney and these companies like, like Coke and, and Delta attacked the ele- the new election law, which is a good election Georgia. law in Georgia. And then these companies, they sit there and want to attack us in this country, but they want to they want to be okay with all the bad things that are happening in China. And they're not talking about the election laws in China. They're not talking about the election rules in China or the education rules in China. They they're just out there to make money. So these, these companies like like Disney and Coke and Delta, there's hypocrites. I don't get why they want to do this.
3: So with with Disney they say, well, I got a billion dollar bond since I'm no longer autonomous. Let the taxpayers pay that off. Are the taxpayers on the hook for a billion dollars?
12: Well, I hope not. They they better, you know, it's it's not look, it's not fair uh if any any taxpayers on the hook for um the debt of the special taxing district. That that is absolutely something I I would have a big 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 concern about. That's not what should be happening here.
3: Why do you think the and I'm just I know it's speculation. But here we are with Roe v Wade, maybe a month away from being overturned, and for the most part, outside the actors unions uh the was it is it the actors unions? yeah, I think the uh, actors unions saying that i don't i don't believe that any state that doesn't allow abortion we should we should just ban them from ever shooting a film there i don't really Amazon saying we'll transport any of our employees to a state that allows abortion. I don't see many corporations speaking out like they did with the Georgia law, like they did with the North Carolina bathroom rule, like they did with the – and mislabeling the don't say gay bill in Florida. Why do you think to this point corporations have been quiet?
12: Well, first off, the – and I think most people – believe that there's a, there's a baby there, there's a human life there, and they know the Democrats are radical. I mean, the Democrats have voted, and they were, they're going to vote again next week to say that you can do abortion right up until the moment of birth, and you don't have to keep the baby alive, and they want taxpayers to pay for abortions in the United States and overseas. That's not where the public is. Um, you know, the the, that's, the public thinks that's radical. So I'm pro-life. Um, I believe in the sanctity of the life. And and look, what many doesn't do. As what do the when do the Democrats believe life begins? Then, I mean, when do they when do they think it's okay to end to, to terminate somebody's life? I mean, this baby. There's a baby there. The baby can at six, at 15 weeks, the baby can suck its thumb, feel pain, uh, react to the sound. I mean, this is a little little baby there, a little boy or a little girl. So, the, the Democrats are radical, and I think I think most people understand the Democrats are radical. And I don't. I guess they'd have to play to the radical base to get their 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 their, um, their base out.
3: Uh, lastly, uh, this just coming in, and we're looking for confirmation, but uh, another Russian warship has been hit. Uh, it looks like it was going right by Snake Island. It's the Admiral Makarov. It said it had been sailing at the time close to that island. Uh, it is damaged but still floating. What's your reaction if this is indeed true? It looks like a anti ship missile a Neptune rocket hit it.
12: I hope so. I hope every Russian ship uh, sinks. I hope uh, I hope every every Russian soldier. Um, uh, you know, hurries back to Russia. I hope Putin and all the thugs around him, anybody that's, that's prosecuted this war goes to prison for war crimes for the rest of their lives.
3: And you think that think it's is in America's interest for the Ukrainians to prevail there? Oh, it, look, If we, if you don't want
12: American men and women to go fight a war, then you better do everything you can to help Ukraine be able to defend their, their soil and their freedoms. Thank God they're willing to do it because if they don't, Poland's next or next or Lithuania next, they're they are NATO members. We are obligated by treaty to go defend their soil. So if you want, if you don't want American men and women to go fight, if you believe in freedom, you better do everything you can to help Ukraine. We ought to get them every bit of lethal weapons we can. We've got to understand exactly that we've got to get humanitarian support to Poland. I mean, you have to really appreciate the Polish citizens. They, there's not one a Ukrainian that I know of in a refugee camp in Poland. They're all in somebody's house. They've opened their doors to these women and children, uh, and they've said, you can get on our safety nets until you get back to work. It's unbelievable what the Polish citizens have done.
3: That's a, yeah. I agree with you uh, on every in every sense. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, thanks so much.
12: All right. Take care, Brian.
3: You got it, uh, and have a great weekend. 1-866-408-7669. Back with your calls in a moment.
12: Newsmakers
2: and newsbreakers, here at first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Can you tell the American people that we're not headed for a recession?
9: I can tell the American people that we are much better positioned when it comes to that recession question uh, than pretty much any other advanced economy I've seen. But probably more importantly, Wait, I so can you, tell the so American people. So you can't rule it out
1: that, is what I'm Hold hearing.
9: on. Let, let, let me, let me. You can never rule anything out. So that's not really a relevant question. Let me me make the point. The key point here is less about forecasting and probabilities. That's a very uncertain game right now. It is what are we actually doing concretely to meet the challenges that we know American households face?
3: What are you doing? We have the Fed raising rates, and the experts say not fast enough. I'm not looking forward to high interest rates, but they say between that, cutting back, uh, taxes, uh, releasing and regulations, and an oil and gas industry. These are things you could be doing. But right now, that's Jared Bernstein uh, on CNN. Uh, he is an uh, economic aide to President, uh, President Biden, uh, talking about kind of cheerleading. Cheerleading of the economy. that had some good news today. 428,000 jobs added. Unemployment ticked up. I'm not really sure how that calculus is, but at 3.6 percent, still extraordinarily low. But the problem is inflation is at 8.5 and and salaries are increasing at the average of 5.8. Here's Larry Kudlow, Cut36.
7: The Federal Reserve
10: blew this. A year ago, I don't know why Jay Powell is being reappointed. He certainly uh, doesn't deserve it. He has no, People do not have confidence. He was out there yesterday, Laura, and he tried to whitewash the whole problem. He sounded like Joe Biden blaming inflation on Vladimir Putin and COVID. That's nonsense. The problem here was too much federal spending, too much federal borrowing and too much central bank money printing. And the Fed has got to stop whitewashing the problem and go to it, otherwise, the longer they wait, and the more they try to avoid these issues, which is what Biden is unfortunately doing, the worse the recession is going to be. I mean, the worst possible combination is inflationary recession.
3: That's Larry Kudlow a little bit later, and he'll, he'll be on, you know all, all throughout the channel. he's got his own show on uh, one of our local affiliates, '77 WABC. And look. A lot of this stuff has nothing to do with President Biden or President Trump or anybody. I mean, you have supply chain issues. We never have been through a pandemic, 100 plus years. Now these idiots in China lock down an entire city of Shanghai and lock out the ports. They're starting to lock down in Beijing. They're just releasing uh, some ports and people over in Hong Kong. So this thing is rippling through, causing all types of effects, and manufacturing coming out of China the way it is, and there's been no move to bring it back outside Intel opening up a a couple of plants, that's the issue. Now you can't get chips for cars. That's not necessarily our fault. But if GM and Ford and other major car companies, Chrysler, owned by Fiat now, at one point when they're sitting around the table meeting with their board of directors, do they ever say what if? What if there's a problem with China? What if we have a war with China? Who's going to make our stuff and our cars and our chips? Anybody? So that's part of it. And I don't blame President uh, Biden on that, but I haven't seen any move to to change that. Uh, You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget to watch One Nation on Saturday night at 8 o'clock and keep it here.
2: the fox news radio studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice brian kilmeade
3: hi everyone brian kilmeade here thanks so much for listening to the brian kilmeade show uh, we are moving ahead with two great guests. Lucas Tomlinson, right at the top of the hour. This news about another Russian warship being hit and exploded, possibly off a, a, a Neptune uh, a missile. That would be a pretty amazing. Loving that. And Walter Russell Mead, a distinguished fellow at the Hudson Institute and professor of foreign affairs, the humanities at Bard College, and a Wall Street Journal columnist. Uh, we talk about uh, where we're at right now uh, in the world with another missile crisis, another standoff with Russia that's might be heading towards something like the Cuban Missile Crisis. We'll get his perspective on that, but let's get to the Big Three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three.
5: Critical race theory has become one of those hot-button issues that uh, the Republicans and, and other, you know, disinformers have, have seized on. It's, you know, weaponizing people's emotion.
3: Isn't that nice, Nina Jankowitz? Disband the disinformation board in your bizarre czar. 20 states are demanding it. It's a partisan attack bureau, and Republicans are the target.
6: Number two, U.S. intelligence shared with Ukraine helped lead to Ukraine's sinking of the Russian cruiser Moskva, one of the most embarrassing setbacks Russia has faced since the start of the war. The news coming on the heels of a New York Times report that says the U.S. has given Ukraine real-time battlefield intelligence that American officials said led to the killings of Russian generals.
3: But why are you telling them? It looks like the U.S. provided intel to take out Russia's number one warship and played a role in killing about a dozen Russian generals. Personally, I love it. But why are we talking about it? This is Vladimir Putin's desperate push to show some gains for his May 9th victory parade.
7: Number one.
8: Do you think the progressive activists that are now planning protests outside some of the justices' houses are extreme?
1: Peaceful protest? No. Peaceful protest is not extreme.
3: Really? At somebody's house? A justice's house? Supreme decision was Roe. Supreme decision on Roe might be a month away, but the protest and some violence starting already as they fence in the court. And homes of the justices could be next. They're targeting. They're trying to intimidate. I don't think it works, nor do I think it's acceptable. It's an obvious, uh, it's an obvious move to go secure their homes and tell everybody it's wrong to do. Lucas Thomasen joins us now. Uh, hey, Lucas, welcome back.
13: Brian, it's great to join you. Greetings from London.
3: Uh, you're in London now, where uh, Boris Johnson said something interesting a couple of days ago. He said, we were wrong not to uh, fully arm Ukraine for this fight ahead of time, but let's not make it, let's not make that mistake again. I was shocked to hear that.
13: That's right, and then the uh, British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss said the same thing, saying that Putin could have been deterred from invading Ukraine. And this came up yesterday, Brian, when Japan's Prime Minister visited 10 Downing Street and said that Ukraine could be East Asia tomorrow, meaning a potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan. And what officials are saying is they don't want to wait to put sanctions on China because uh, people saw how effective those were from deterring Vladimir Putin from invading Ukraine. They want to help arm Taiwan. But uh, certainly Ukraine on the mind here, even with the visit of the Japanese prime minister.
3: And you report that uh, China buzzed Taiwan with the largest contingent of fighter jets and bombers in more than three months, one day after the Japanese prime minister visited uh, 10 Downing Street, right?
13: That's right. And ahead of President Biden's trip to East Asia, he'll be going to Japan and South Korea. Of course, the new conservative uh, president of South Korea takes the helm the next few days.
3: Interesting. So what about this report about the uh, a war? a a Russian warship going by Snake Island again was just blown up. It's still above water, but it's not sinking yet, but it was hit. Have you heard this? The Admiral Makarov. Makarov. Well-
13: Ryan, I've saw the reports. I'm here in London, so I wasn't able to talk to some of the officials that I normally would talk to while I was back in Washington. But uh, what you know, officials and analysts have said, you know, these warships—they're not stealth. I mean, it's it's a big hunk of metal in the middle of the, the water. And certainly, uh, U.S. military and the intelligence community has uh, satellites in space. They have drones, and certainly Ukraine uh, knows where they are. And so, what's most surprising and shocking is that the Russians would even put warships within range of those Neptune missiles.
3: I mean, it just seems like you, you're, the, you're the one with the military background. You're the one working in the Pentagon. It seems to me the Russians are totally inept.
13: It certainly seems that way. I mean, you would think after you lost uh, your flagship, a flagship cruiser, a size of which had not been sunk since the Falklands War 40 years ago, uh, that you would pull all those Russian warships back. In fact, that's what the reporting was at the time, that after the the flagship was sunk, the Russians had moved all their warships back. And the fact that you have another warship now coming close to shore within missile range, uh, I don't think you need to be in the military or know that that's not a very smart idea.
3: All right. So, uh, Lucas, what, what can you also tell me about these reports now that we played a prominent role in taking out those dozen generals, maybe more, uh, on the battlefield and also played a role in taking out uh, the Moskva, uh, the Moscova warship?
13: So, Brian, some of the officials I spoke to have some of the same issues you had in your intro where why are people talking about this? I mean, of course, there's been a lot of intelligence sharing, depending on has i been shy about that, perhaps. Uh, some officials think that uh, instead of being, uh, you know, browbeaten about why aren't you getting more weapons uh, into Ukraine, they wanted to, you know, show a little leg, show what the uh, intelligence community is doing. However, uh, you know, former Marine I spoke to, uh, we were talking about, listen, you know, Brian, covering, uh, you know, terrorism the last 20 years, going after targets using mobile phones. This is something that the U.S. military and intelligence community has been doing for many years. And you might be asking, well, look, is our you know, generals walking around uh, on you know, mobile phones? Not necessarily. I mean, think about this almost like carrier pigeons. If you saw a big you know, cell network in the middle of nowhere, you know, it's not a big city. It's not New York. It's not Washington. You know, out in the middle of nowhere, you would assume there's some kind of command and control element. That's where uh, you'd have a communications hub. And if it's in the middle of the woods and you know the Russians are there, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily take Inspector Clouseau or, uh, you know, right. to know that that's probably where the Russian generals are. You might want to hit that target.
3: And just for the quote, so it's uh, this is uh, from the story. National Security Council spokesperson Adrian Watson said in a statement, quote, we do not provide intelligence with the intent to kill Russian generals. So they don't want to make this to seem a U.S.-Russian fight. That would change everything. It might help unite the Russian public, although it's pretty clear that we're doing a lot of the arming and we're picking up the pace. So it does seem like we're getting more aggressive. Why do you think that is?
13: Well, the, the Biden administration wants Russia to lose. There has not been as explicit as, let's say, Boris Johnson, that speech you referenced a few days ago, where he's, he was actually the first world leader to speak to the Ukrainian parliament just this week. He said very succinctly, Ukraine will win. You know, different. We've heard uh, kind of a mixed. It you know, has been as strong as direct from uh, you know U.S. leaders of late. But there's no question the Biden administration wants Russia to be unsuccessful in this invasion and war in Ukraine. And so, as these weapons are flooding in, you saw the supplemental, a lot more billions more of uh, dollars that uh, the Biden administration wants Congress to fund. This is a war that's going to drag on for months, if not years. And so, the weapons are flowing in, and, and certainly they do want to see the Russians lose. However, uh, you, know, you, you might say the language might not be as direct or colorful as they use here in London.
3: So Mariupol is right now under siege like never before. It's been under siege really for the last 68, 71 days. So uh, we understand that they found a backdoor into the uh, these uh, steel mines that could spell the end for the Ukrainian uh, Marines that are holed up there. But a victory for Russia in the Mariupol would mean – more than just taking the city, it speculated it would mean that they could actually announce that at the victory period on the ninth, and be able to free up some troops to go hit more targets in the east. What do you think about that?
13: Well, I'll say the fight for Mariupol is, is taking a lot longer than the Russians wanted. You know, they wanted to move some of these battalions uh, uh, farther north into the Donbas. That's where they've uh, massed uh, over 20 of these uh, battalion tactical groups. There's no question, uh, President Putin wants to make a big statement on May 9th. That's when the Russians uh, celebrate the victory over Nazi Germany in World War II. By the way, Brian, it's just another you know thing that the Russians do. You know, the rest of the Western world, of course, celebrates victory in Europe on May 8th. Of course, the Russians have to have their own date, May 9th. This year's some of the schism there but uh, there's no question Putin wants to make a big statement you know in years past he's hosted world leaders uh one year the Israeli Prime Minister went out there for mainland celebrations of course that will not be happening uh, this year Western leaders are in fact sanctioning and just uh, this week we heard that from the European Union they want to you know ban Russian oil but uh there's some, you know, economists in the West that say the one issue is if you, you know, you know ban and cut Russian oil too quickly, you know, simple supply and demand tells you that uh, as that demand drops, the price spikes, and that Putin could actually benefit from that because you've seen what the price of oil has been since the invasion, and there's no question, you know, billions are still flowing into his coffers.
3: But would you also say that the European Union making the announcement within six months getting off oil and gas, uh, Russian oil and gas, is something that's pleasable? And a welcome, welcome statement from the U.S. perspective?
13: No question. Oh, there's no question. I mean, you
3: you cannot keep
13: funding Putin with, Billions of dollars in, in oil revenue. There's other places. There's other sources of oil. I don't have to tell your audience uh, right right there in the United States. Uh, there's plenty of oil that Europe could and gas that the Europeans could turn to. It does not have to be from Russia. There's no question. Just the only issue, of course, is, is potential short term turmoil with the markets. And if uh, there are these huge price spikes, and we've already seen the price of oil go up uh, tremendously, that certainly is a benefit to, to an oil producer uh, like uh, Russia, because next to the Saudi, next to the Saudis and the United States, nobody produces more oil than Russia. And oil is actually about half of uh, Russia's budget. It's not gas; it's
3: oil. Uh, Lucas, what are you doing in London? I
13: was here for training, and I was also here at the uh, in our London bureau. So I was uh, covering down here for for the week. So now I'm heading home.
3: Uh, you, oh, you're heading home, so you're going to be heading back. So my, uh, you know, former Secretary of Defense Esper has got a book out. He's starting to do the tour. He's going to be on 60 Minutes. Saw that. He just, yeah, he's just uh, talking about what he saw with the Trump White House. Uh, here is Mark Esper talking about sending troops to the border. Cut 33. And
0: I told this story to uh, General Milley and my chief of staff. I said, let's be safe. Let's just check and make sure that this isn't being worked somewhere in the building. And Millie comes back days later, and the door opens up, and he's waving a document in his hands, and he says something like, Secretary, you're not going to believe this. And that's when he explains to me that, yes, they were working, that we had developed a plan, initial concept of how this might happen, and I was just flabbergasted that not only was the idea proposed, but that people, people in my department were working on it.
3: So he's talking about putting 250,000 troops at the border. The president was fed up, President Trump at the time. Does this sound plausible, feasible? Did you know about this?
13: Well, as I checked, the the president is the commander in chief and then controls the U.S. military. So if the president wants some options, uh, officials will say it's the Pentagon's duty to present options. Uh, We we did hear these reports. And, of course, uh, National Guard troops were dispatched to the border uh, we've certainly heard from uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who who has welcomed that that uh, to uh, firm up the border. But uh, in terms of uh, uh, Esper, well, at, uh, I think a lot of people are going to look forward to him uh, being on a special report uh, with Brett. There, what was he like? To, what was he
3: like to deal with? Esper? Yeah.
13: He he was, uh, you know, he's a former army officer. He's uh, a pretty straight arrow. Just say that. Pretty straight arrow. He's not like General Milley. He's not, uh, not, not as vocal. Not uh, doesn't beat his chest as much uh, as for uh, pretty straight arrow.
3: All right, Uh, Lucas. uh, Have a safe travel back.
13: Thank you very much, Brian. Appreciate having you. Got it.
3: Thank you. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade show.
13: Expanding
2: your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade show. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
9: It's not safe to live in Los Angeles, and it's dangerous for a comedian to perform. Let's not forget the Will Smith situation. No criminal action taken against Will Smith. We have a district attorney who is not a district attorney. He's a public defender for criminals. How in the world can he dismiss this case? Let the felony charges fly all the way to court. Let the judge determine if there's enough evidence. There's What you saw on that video, you see an attempt to inflict bodily injury to an individual. These are felony charges. But we
3: have a district attorney who is immune from any type of prosecution himself. So here's the thing. Well, Leo Terrell is referring to the fact they didn't they, they only kept him overnight. He could probably get out now, thirty thousand bail. And this guy, a twenty-three year old that attacked Dave Chappelle, had a gun, follow me, replica gun or an antique or a replica gun with a knife inside. But it was in his backpack. So when he attacked and tackled Dave Chappelle on the stage at the Hollywood Bowl in front of tens of thousands, uh, they said the weapon wasn't in use, so therefore his life wasn't in danger. So what a bad message. What about the next hit? I know you can't, you could use jailing somebody for a deterrent. Isn't that not only deterring the next act, but others from doing that act? So right now, if I'm, if Dave Chappelle is susceptible, then no, every comedian is susceptible. If you're Kevin Hardy or Jerry Seinfeld, Howie Mandel came out yesterday and I was watching this with Billy Bush. I guess he's on, was he on Access Hollywood? I forgot which one he is. But he does the best job out of everybody. And he just interviewed Howie Mandel. He says, you know, he goes, I have depression. You know, I'm a bit neurotic. He said, this, I cannot get this out of my mind. He said he's been performing for close to 40 years. He loves doing it, but he does not want to do stand-up right now. And the other thing is, when you're doing stand-up, evidently Adam Carolla was saying that people are yelling out more than ever. So if you're Adam Carolla, you're this rare thing of a conservative comedian— so, you go up in major cities because he gets big venues, major cities, usually Democrat. And you go up and you say Trump did this and Trump did that, or conservative does this, and how bad Joe Biden is. People are going to start yelling out. And you don't worry about it personally, but you, it ruins the crowd. The crowd gets tense and they don't laugh. So, if you get a good lineup out that guy, it might be on his expense or usually his, but usually his or her expense. But then you lost the whole momentum of the comedy show, which is supposed to be an escape. I'm surprised how laid-back people are, the Hollywood community is. I, I am really surprised by that because, to me, I thought this was a much bigger deal. I mean, Jamie Foxx was the first one out to help save Dave Chappelle from this lunatic that wrote a song for him, inspiring rapper, but a loser living in his brother's house, fighting with everybody, volatile, with some link to the trans community. They're still eva- evaluating that. Uh, to me, I have no patience for it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, I would not be making excuses for the behavior. Real quick, before we go, the big story of the week is Roe v. Wade may be being overturned in a few weeks, and we're trying to find the leaker out. This is what Hillary Clinton said,
4: never shy about using hyperbole. Cut three. This opinion is dark. It is incredible incredibly dangerous and it is not just about a woman's right to choose it is about much more than that and I hope people now are fully aware of what we're up against because the only answer is at the ballot box to elect people who will stand up for every American's rights and any American says look I'm not a woman this doesn't affect me I'm not black that doesn't affect me I'm not gay that doesn't affect me once you allow this kind of extreme power to take hold you have no idea who they will come for next.
3: Judge Alito is not acting emotional. He's not going for anything. He's not in contact with any administration. He's a conservative who didn't think he could constitutionally uh, Roe v. Wade made sense. There's nothing about abortion in the Constitution. Therefore, he thinks it should be a state rule. Let the states decide. Not banning abortion, although some would love to see that. Walter Russell Mead is next. We put this whole uh, stand over the Russian perspective. Don't move.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
9: I didn't one Sarmat missile, and that's it. The British Isles are no more.
5: But we are serious people.
9: And I am saying that seriously. They're accusing us of state terrorism. The U.K. also has nuclear weapons.
5: No one will
3: survive in this war. And that was from Russian TV, uh, obviously through a translation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Walter Russell Mead joins us now, distinguished fellow at the Hudson Institute, professor of foreign affairs and humanities at Bard, and Wall Street Journal columnist. Walter, welcome.
14: Good to be here, Brian.
3: Walter, I guess we're trying to pursue this, this story about uh, another w- a Russian warship that might have been hit and on the way to sinking right outside Snake Island. If that is indeed the case from a Neptune uh, missile, what, what's the significance?
14: Well, it would be another significant military setback for the Russians in a war that has been one disappointment and disaster for them after the next.
3: What's the biggest surprise for them?
14: The biggest surprise is that they have, uh, I guess two, one, they have not been able to beat the Ukrainians on the ground. They thought they would just roll them. And the other is that the Western response has just been much tougher than they expected.
3: Right. And now they might even be adding two new countries to NATO and more forces are on NATO's border, NATO, uh, NATO country borders. That's the nightmare scenario for Russia and it's already happening.
14: That's exactly right. They've brought on something worse than
3: anything they could imagine. So you write too. the Biden administration is really on the line here. It would be a significant loss if they let Russia prevail in this or get significant land in the end. That the Biden administration is, is saying, well, watching Ukraine in a war they never thought would happen. How did we miss it so bad? We watched 130,000 troops well up at the border. Did we really not think it would happen? Well, I think,
9: mean, you know, they
14: they thought. By by two weeks before the war, the Biden administration understood just where Russia was, and we had great intelligence about that. But we really didn't think first that they would do it for months. And then we thought the, the administration's calculation was that within 72 hours of the attack, the Ukrainian forces would disintegrate. They really believed in a quick Russian win.
3: And is that why we did offer Zelensky a way out?
14: That's right. Uh, and why we moved our embassy out of Kiev really quickly in a way that, uh, in retrospect, does not look
3: good. You talk about before the war, the perception in the West at the, in the governmental level was uh, Ukraine is a strategic and economic backwater. It was weak and corrupt, whose politics reflected shadowy struggles among oligarchs. Today, we think of Ukraine as a strong democratic state whose security is critical to European stability. What is the reality? Forget perception. They have shown great strength. They've had shown unbelievable resolve. They do have this incredible leader.
14: They've really, they've really transformed themselves. There is a question, if it's a long war, how well they can hold up. Because a long, grinding war like World War I or the U.S. Civil War will would test any country to the breaking point. So how well Ukraine can hold up in that circumstance, we don't know.
3: Right. Uh, so the stakes, I, I believe, are enormous. We're getting sending in thirty three billion dollars more. Germany's Germany's now sending in howitzers and has now committed to the two percent minimum that the NATO requires to stay in the alliance. But they've always just said now we're just going to be an economic power. That's all changed. So uh, right now we continue to flood weapons in. How does that uh, how does that figure into what Vladimir Putin will talk about May 9th on Victory Day?
14: You know, this is the, anybody's guess what he's going to do on Victory Day. But it does look like Vladimir Putin is, uh, you know, is, is beginning to look like a cornered rat. That is to say, you know, he is, he is faced with a humiliating defeat in a part of the world that for him and the Russians who back him is absolutely critical to Russia's standing as a great power. And so the question is, what will what will the cornered rat do to survive in that situation? And that's really quite worrying because this is a cornered rat who has nuclear weapons.
3: We're talking to um, we're we're talking to a very significant guest, uh, Walter Russell Mead, to try to put in perspective what this is. I'm heartened by the fact, Walter, that the American people, by almost all the polls, see how significant Ukraine is. They're not saying it's 6,000 miles away. What do I care? We know we have issues here. We might be heading to a recession. Why do you think the American people seem to understand this conflict and the need for it so much, when in the past they've lost interest or didn't see the reason why?
14: Well, I think Putin has been very helpful in that, He broke the basic law of international relations. You don't change boundaries by force. He's behaved in a monstrous way in Ukraine, and his forces have been beyond the pale. At the same time, uh, many Americans remember the Cold War. They remember what it's like to have uh, a nuclear superpower in Russia controlled under a relentlessly hostile dictator. They can see all that. And they know that we're better off dealing with this in Ukraine than we would be dealing with an energized, supercharged Russia that has reconquered
3: Ukraine. I want you to hear what Jack Keane told me this morning about his assessment of where we're at and how the oil embargo that the EU could be putting in place would affect this whole uh, conflict. Cut 19.
11: This is absolutely one of the miscalculations that Putin made. He, he certainly underestimated the unity that the West would have as a result of his invasion into Ukraine. And you see it uh, on the sanctions and how tougher they're getting and now actually dealing with something that's going to hurt the Europeans, and that is an embargo on oil and eventually uh, something to the same effect on, on, on gas. That could not have even been conceived of a couple of months ago, the Europeans moving in that direction.
3: Do you believe they will? We know that everyone's cutting back significantly. We have said zero. We're going to zero uh, Russian oil and gas. Do you believe that the European Union uh, will do what they say outside Hungary? Well,
14: you know, they have, right, they have to decide by unanimous vote, and Hungary has said it's against it. Now, they're looking for ways to persuade the Hungarians to go along, so we'll see. Uh, we should realize, too, that there's two separate issues here, oil and gas. And oil is, in some ways, the easier one for the Germans to to embargo. Uh, gas would be tough, but they're working they're working on it. Europe has really behaved in this crisis far better than it has done in anything really since the end of the Cold War.
3: You know, I'm thinking long term, uh, Walter. This might be this this huge conflict might enable us to truly pivot to China because the Rus- the Europeans will finally understand they have to take responsibility with our leadership of their own security, and that the Russian threat is real. We could say it over and over again, all these presidents have had the same complaint. Now they get it. So if they provide their own security and their own, and they start funding their own defense, that may allow us to really square off with our number one economic and military foe. Don't you agree?
14: I think that's possible. I also think that the, both the Russians and the, uh, sorry, the Europeans and the Americans continue to wake up to China, that China has been a big supporter of Russia in this war. China has not criticized anything Putin has done in the war. And this is waking people up to just what we face.
3: Possibly. Uh, I think that that's correct. Now, we hear that China had some overfights a couple of days ago. Uh, over Taiwan, but if you're China, from the best you can understand from the context you may have, and and what you know about them, are they less or more likely to pull off this invasion of Taiwan after watching what happened with Russia and Ukraine?
14: Well, I think they're they're clearly very seriously rethinking now just what the Western response to an invasion would be and how much it would cost them. And we're reading about surveys they're doing. They're trying to understand what the impact of sanctions like the ones put on Russia would have on China and how that would how that would increase the economic cost. So they're definitely thinking. Um, And, you know, at the same time, there's been a lot of stuff in the press lately that the U.S. Navy and our forces are really not prepared to help Taiwan in the way we've helped Ukraine. Um, You know, we don't have the infrastructure in place to do that. So we've really, you know, we've got to move very, very quickly because the Chinese will also be looking at that gap.
3: Why do you think they view us as a threat when, you know, from our perspective, we do not look, you know, we're not looking to cause war with China. Now we're waking up to the threat that is China as they build their military and their economic power. Why don't you think they could say, let's compete? Why do you think they say they go out and say, we have to conquer?
14: Well, some of it really does have to do with Taiwan, which for a lot of Chinese emotionally is part of China, Uh, a lot of Chinese on the mainland. And so that's an issue that the central government can always hit. We should also look their, their economy is slowing down. The central government is facing a lot of protests over problems in the real estate sector. Their stock market is not doing great. Their COVID policy is unpopular. So, you know, having a foreign enemy can always be helpful when you've got a lot of domestic trouble.
3: So, you know, create that enemy, get the people galvanized to uh, who the problem is. I guess that's it. Part of their slowdown, Walter, has to be the fact that they they locked down 25 million people in Shanghai and millions more in Beijing and had Hong Kong locked down too. A total overreaction for what we know about COVID 19. Don't you agree?
14: Yeah, I think they're, you know, this is a problem they've got that Xi Jinping has staked his personal prestige on uh, the zero COVID policy. And clearly in the past, that zero COVID policy reduced deaths in China, but with Omicron, which is, you know, much more uh, contagious, the costs of that zero COVID policy are rising rapidly. And, it, but the Chinese government, because it's committed itself to this, you know, and the and the all powerful Communist Party of China has said this is the way they they're having a very hard time thinking through changes in policy.
3: Uh, and, Walter, lastly, just to pivot back to Russia, you know, there's a story. There's two stories out, one that we played a role in providing the intelligence that, that ended up the deaths of 12 Russian generals. And we provided the intelligence to allow Ukraine to blow up the number one warship in the Russian Navy. And if that be- that is now public, although I love that we're doing it. I see the objective of being right. How do you feel about this being public and pushing an unstable, seemingly unstable leader like Vladimir Putin with nuclear weapons to the brink? Do you see a danger in that?
14: Well, of course there's a danger. Um, it's, it's hard to tell, you know, what other messages are going through. I mean, I'm pres- hopefully the U.S. is explaining to Putin on a number of channels That for him to go nuclear, say to use a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine, uh, would, would create even more blowback and even more of a crisis. But by pushing Putin into a corner and then advertising the degree to which the Americans are helping Ukraine, we're clearly turning this into a very, very high stakes international crisis.
3: And it's, it's. I hope we and it's, win. I, I hope
14: we're ready for it, and I hope we win.
3: But that last, your latter point is clumsy, don't you think?
14: Well, again, we'll have to see. What you know? Is there a plan behind the plan? I don't know. But yes, it's high stakes. It's it's doubling down on something that could lead to the kind of confrontation we haven't seen since, say, the Cuba Cuba missile crisis of the early 1960s.
3: And going back to Secretary of Defense Austin says one of the things we want to do is have a week in Russia so we don't have to deal with this again in a few years. I love that sentiment. That's the main reason why it matters. But saying it publicly, if it's a tactic, okay. But if it's just not well thought out, I I have a problem with that. What do you think? Is it a tactic?
14: I I, I agree with you completely there, Brian. Um, It's you know, if they have a carefully calibrated plan and these public statements are part of a larger plan to uh, to take, you know, to really use this crisis to push Putin back, great. But if this is kind of, you know, casual feeling the exuberance of the morning and, uh, moment and letting off steam, they're actually making the situation much more dangerous.
3: It's always great to talk to you. Walter Russell Mead. thanks. uh, And I look forward to your book, The Ark of a Covenant. It's available for pre-order right now. uh, And it's going to be out July 5th. Thanks, Walter.
14: Great. Thank you, Brian.
3: You got it. Talk to you again soon. I'm going to back to wrap up this hour and give you the latest. We're still following that story about that Russian warship that might have been hit by uh, Ukrainian surface-to-air missiles. That's going to be great. And we'll be also uh, exploring mysterious fires that are popping up in Russia You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. We also uh, will try to squeeze in some calls. 1-866-408-7669.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
12: Roe is over two to one in approval. And Alito and him said, we don't care. We're not fair, and we don't care. And all the Democrats are going to do is sit around and talk about veganism and pronouns. And to some extent, that is a justified opinion that they
3: have. That is uh, James Carville talking about uh, how how uh, poorly the Democrats are playing this. And the fact is the Supreme Court should not be worrying about popularity. It should be doing talking about the Constitution. So his, his attack on the Supreme Court is not really an attack. Let's find out if there's even more to know.
2: More to know.
3: Lighter note, Tom Brady admits his tuck rule that uh, might have been a fumble. Remember, he was, his hand was going back. He was tackled. The ball came loose. They said it was no fumble because it was in motion. Let's listen to Tom Brady. This was the pivotal moment in his career because the Raiders were uh, uh, lost to the Upstart New England Patriots who go to the Super Bowl and Tom Brady starts his remarkable run. Had he been sacked, Drew Bledsoe might have got the job back. and We might not have even thought that Tom Brady would have amounted to anything.
12: Tuck rule game against the Raiders.
3: Might have been a fumble. That is to Justin Bieber on his podcast, right? Brady's first postseason appearance. The tuck rule is now official. Brady posted a video on Twitter. To me, he's just having fun,
5: right? I clearly, I agree. Like the fact he's joining Beaver on his podcast, he's enjoying life.
3: Next, Phil Mickelson's gambling losses in a brand new book are highlighted. This is unbelievable. They say one of the greatest lefties ever, if not one of the greatest golfers ever. Uh, federal orders discovered his gambling losses total of forty million dollars between twenty ten and twenty fourteen. Does he
5: have anybody in his family just to rein him in? Clearly not. But I mean. I'm not sure of his total net worth but 40 million he's still okay financially.
3: The golf store's annual income in 2012 it was estimated to be 48 million. He netted about 1 million in one week from Dean Foods stock deal. The book also said Mickelson's split with longtime caddy Jim McKay was because he wasn't paying him. He was late on his payments. Next, the University of South Carolina blasted over a white student accountability meeting. Uh, They had this meeting they called description was white student accountability. The purpose was engaging in this project to threefold to number one, help social students recognize both their contribution and responsibility to dismantling racism. Number two, to encourage students to use their voice power and privilege to enact change in their classroom, community and practice and support students in developing skills to host similar groups among peers. So what role do you have as a white guy while you're paying all that money to go to the University of South Carolina?
5: Well, apparently the university gave a statement to Fox saying the accountability group was part of a student's project and was not part of an officially sponsored collegiate uh, college of social work activity.
3: The TPUSA chapter president at the University of South Carolina says it's just very sad and disappointing that the university would organize an event that promotes legitimately racist ideas. Next. Oh, my goodness. That's it.
5: Is that what this music means? It means, you know, it is it. That is all we need to know. That's all we need to know, and it's time for you to promote what's going to be on One Nation.
3: Oh, on One Nation, we're going to have John Taffer. We're going to have Robert O'Brien. We're going to have the president of the Heritage Foundation and Chris Rufo to talk about where the corporations are. Why are they standing up and taking on Roe vs. Wade? I'll tell you. 1 o'clock, 8 o'clock.